Welcome to the Ramayan Podcast, a weekly podcast featuring an episodic reading in English of St. Tulsidas' version of the epic Ramayan. And we begin this podcast, episode 14, in the Ayodhya Khand at verse 46. Their mouths were parched, their eyes streamed, and their hearts could not contain their sorrow. It seemed as though the army of Pathos had openly pitched its camp at Ayodhya. When everything was ready, God upset the whole plan. Everywhere people abused Kaikei. What sense could there be in this wicked woman having set fire to a house that had been newly thatched? She seeks to perceive after tearing out her eyes with her own hands, and wishes to taste poison throwing away nectar. This crooked, hard-hearted, and evil-minded wretch has appeared as a fire to burn the cluster of bamboos in the shape of Ragu's race. Sitting on a twig, she has hewn the tree itself. In the midst of joy, she has raised a structure of sorrow. Sri Ram had always been dear to her as life. What has led her to resort to such perversity? Seers have truly said that a woman's mind is altogether incomprehensible, unfathomable, and shrouded in mystery. Sooner may a man catch his own reflection than know the ways of a woman. What is there that fire cannot consume? What is there that cannot be engulfed by the ocean? What is there that a powerful woman, miscalled powerless, in common parlance, cannot accomplish? And what creature is there in this perishable world that death cannot devour? Having first ordained one thing, the Creator has now ordained quite the reverse of it. Having shown us one spectacle, He would now show us quite another. Some people said, the king has not done well. He has not been discreet in granting the wicked woman her request, whereby he has willfully courted all this tragedy. By allowing himself to be ruled by a woman, he has lost his wisdom and goodness, as it were. Others who were saner did not blame the king, recognizing as they did his high standards of morality. They repeated at length to one another the narratives of Shibi, Dadichi, and Harishchandra, some suggested Bharat's connivance, while still others passively heard what their companions said. Others stopped their ears with their hands and bit their tongue as they exclaimed, This is untrue. All your merits will be destroyed as you utter these words. Sri Ram is dear to Bharat as his own life. Sooner shall the moon rain sparks of fire, or nectar have the same effect as poison, than Bharat ever dream of doing anything prejudicial to the interests of Sri Ram. Some blamed the Creator, who had offered nectar but actually given them poison. The whole city was astir, and everyone felt distressed. There was deep agony in their hearts, and their briskness was gone. Brahmin matrons and other venerable and elderly ladies of the royal family, and such other ladies as were most dear to Kaikei, began to expostulate with her, praising her amiability, but their words pierced her like shafts. You have always said, and the whole world knows it, that Bharat is not so dear to you as Ram. You have borne natural affection toward Ram. For what offense do you exile him to the woods today? You have never harbored jealousy toward your co-wives. Your loving disposition and credulity are known throughout the land. What wrong has Kosalya done you now due to which you should have hurled this thunderbolt against the whole city? Will Sita forego the company of Sri Ram, or Lakshman choose to stay at home? Will Bharat enjoy the sovereignty of Ayodhya, or the king survive without Ram? Pondering thus, 
Banish anger from your breast, nor make yourself a storehouse of grief and infamy. By all means, install Bharat as the prince regent, but what need is there for exiling Ram to the forest? Ram is not covetous of sovereignty. He is a champion of righteousness and has no relish for sensuous pleasures. Let Ram abandon his home and live with his preceptor. Ask this of the king as your second boon. In case you do not follow our advice, you will gain nothing. If you have only played some joke, let us know by openingly declaring it. Does a son like Ram deserve to be exiled to the woods? What will the world say about you when they hear of it? Up quickly and devise some means to avert grief and obloquy. Devise some means to avert grief and infamy and save your family. Forcibly dissuade Ram from proceeding to the woods and make no other suggestions. As the day without the sun, as the body without life and the night without the moon, so the city of Ayodhya without the lord of Tulsidas, Sri Ram. Just consider this, O irascible lady. She gave no reply and wore a sullen look due to anger that could not easily be curbed. She stared at them as a hungry tigress would gaze on a herd of does. Finding her disease incurable, her friends left her, saying as they went, Wretched fool! Fate could not brook her sovereignty and has betrayed her. She has done what nobody else would do. Men and women of the city thus lamented and showered numberless abuses on the wicked woman. They burned with terrible agony and sighed. There can be no hope of life without Ram, they said. The people were disconcerted at the thought of long separation, even as aquatic creatures get disturbed when water in which they live begins to fail. Men and women alike were overcome with excessive grief. In the meantime, Lord Sriram called on his mother Kosalya. He wore a cheerful look and had fourfold joy in his heart. He no longer feared lest the king should detain him. The mind of Sri Ram resembled a young elephant newly caught with kingship for its chain. When he heard of the proposal for exiling him to the forest, he took himself as freed and felt overjoyed in his heart. The crown of Ragu's race, Sri Ram, joined both his palms and cheerfully bowed his head at his mother's feet. She blessed him and clasped him to her bosom and scattered jewels and raiment around him in order to protect him from evil. The mother kissed his lips again and again with tears of affection in her eyes and her limbs thrilling over with joy. Seating him in her lap, she pressed him once more to her heart. Her affection and joy were altogether beyond description. It seemed as if a pauper had attained the position of Kubera, the god of riches. Fondly regarding his lovely countenance, the mother spoke to him in endearing terms. Tell me, dear child, I beseech you, when will be that delightful and auspicious hour, the beautiful culmination of piety, virtue, and joy, and the highest reward of human birth? I adjure you, my darling, to bathe quickly and take some sweet dish of your choice. See your father after that, my boy, for I protest it is already too late. Even on hearing these most agreeable words of his mother, which were blossoms, as it were, of the celestial tree of affection, laden with the honey of joy and fountains of worldly prosperity, the bee of Sri Ram's mind could not be lured by their charm. A champion of righteousness that he was, he clearly discerned the path of duty and spoke to his mother in exceedingly polite terms. Father has bestowed on me the kingdom of the forest, where there will be a great opportunity for me in every way, 
Therefore, grant me leave with a cheerful heart, so that my journey to the forest may be attended with joy and blessing. Be not obsessed with erroneous fears due to affection, dear mother. By your good will, I shall ever be happy. Spending four years and ten in the forest, and having obeyed my father's commands, I will come back and behold your feet again. Be not sad at heart. The gentle and sweet words of Sri Ram, chief of Raghu's, pierced the mother's heart and wrangled there. Alarmed to hear his serene speech, she turned pale in the same way as the Yavasaka plant is blasted by a shower in the monsoon. The agony of her heart was beyond description, like that of a doe that has heard a lion's roar. Her eyes were wet with tears, and her body violently shook like a fish that had got inebriated by sucking the scum raised by the first monsoon shower. Recovering herself and looking her son in the face, the mother spoke in faltering accents, My boy, you are as dear as life to your father, to whom it is a constant delight to watch your doings from day to day. He had got an auspicious day fixed for installing you as the Prince Regent. For what offense has he asked you to proceed to the woods? Let me know the reason, my darling. Who is it that has served as fire to consume the solar race? Reading in Sri Ram's eyes his tacit consent, Sumantra's son, who had accompanied the prince, explained the reason. The mother was struck dumb, as it were, to hear the episode. The state of her mind could not be described in words. She could neither detain her son nor yet say, Go. She felt terrible agony in her heart at either event. It seemed as though one was going to write Moon and wrote Rahu instead through a slip of the pen, she said to herself. The ways of the Creator are always adverse to all, she concluded. Koselia's judgment was swayed on the one hand by her sense of duty and on the other by her affection. She found herself on the horns of a dilemma like a snake that has caught hold of a muskrat. If I press my son and detain him, the moral code will be violated and bad blood created between brothers, and if I allow him to proceed to the woods it will be a grievous loss. The queen thus found herself faced with an embarrassing situation and was overwhelmed with grief. Again, realizing the duty of a woman and remembering that both Ram and Bharat were equally her sons, the prudent Kosalya, Sri Ram's mother, who had a guileless disposition, spoke as follows with great courage. You've done well, my child. I swear a father's command is the most sacred of all obligations. That having promised to bestow on you the kingdom of Ayodhya, your father has now decided to exile you to the woods, does not make me the least sorry. But your absence from our midst will mean a terrible ordeal to Bharat, to the king himself, and to all the people. In any case, if it be your father's command alone, my boy, then go not, remembering that a mother ranks higher than one's father. If, on the other hand, both father and mother have asked you to proceed to the woods, then, of course, the forest will equal a hundred cities like Ayodhya with the sylvan gods for your father, the sylvan goddesses for your mother, and the birds and beasts to wait upon your lotus feet. At all events, it is but proper for a king to dwell in a forest in the evening of his life. It is your tender age which fills my heart with agony. How blessed is the forest, and how luckless Ayodhya, that will be deserted by you, O crown of Raghu's line. If I ask you, my boy, to take you with me, your mind will be filled with doubt. 
You are supremely dear to all, my child. You are the life of our life, the vitality of our soul. As such, you say, Mother, I go to the forest, while I remain rooted to my seat, even on hearing these words, and repent. Realizing this, I do not press my suit, exaggerating my love. I only pray that remembering me as a mother, you should not allow me to slip out of your mind. May all the gods protect you, O Lord of the earth, as the eyelids protect the eyes. The term of exile is like water, while you near and dear ones resemble the fish that live in it. As for yourself, you are a fountain of mercy and a champion of virtue. Remembering this, please devise some means to see that you come back in time to find them all alive. I adjure you to proceed to the woods in good cheer, abandoning your servants, family, and the whole city. The fruit of everyone's meritorious deeds is exhausted today, and the tide of fortune has turned against us, assuming a sullen aspect. Thus wailing in many ways, Mother Kosalya clung to Sri Ram's feet, accounting herself the most unlucky woman. Her heart was filled with terrible and deep agony, and the profusion of wailing was beyond all description. Sri Ram lifted his mother and pressed her to his bosom, and then comforted her with soothing words. That very moment Sita heard the news and rose in great agitation. She approached her mother-in-law, reverenced her lotus feet, and sat down, bowing her head. The mother-in-law blessed her in gentle accents, and felt distressed when she regarded her most delicate frame. With her head bent low, Sita, who was beauty personified and cherished unalloyed love toward her lord, sat reflecting. The lord of my life would depart to the forest. It has yet to be seen who will have the good fortune to accompany him, my body and soul together, or my soul alone. What God intends to do cannot be foreseen even partly. As she scratched the ground with the lovely nails of her toes, her anklets produced a musical sound, as if, so declare the poets, they lovingly prayed that Sita's feet may never abandon them. Seeing her shed tears from her charming eyes, Sri Ram's mother broke the silence. Listen, my dear child, Sita is exceedingly delicate and the pet of her father-in-law and mother's-in-law and the whole family. She has for her father Janak, the jewel among princes, while her father-in-law is no other than the son of the solar race, your father. As for her lord, yourself, he is the veritable moon for the lily-like progeny of the sun god and a repository of goodness and beauty. Again, I have found in her a beloved daughter-in-law, who is amiable and accomplished and beauty personified. I have treated her as the very apple of my eye and loved her even more, nay, my very life is centered in Janaki. I have fostered her in many ways as a celestial creeper and nourished her by feeding her with the water of affection. Just when the creeper was about to blossom and bear fruit, God turned against me, and there is no knowing what will be the consequence. Born invariably on a bedstead, seat, swing, or my own lap, Sita has never set her foot on hard ground. I have been tending her like a life-giving herb, and never asked her even to stir the wick of a lamp. The same Sita would accompany you to the woods, and awaits your orders, O Lord of Raguz. How can a female Chikora bird, who loves to feed on the nectar born on the rays of a moon, bear to fix her gaze on the sun? Hosts of wild elephants, lions, demons, and other fell creatures roam about in the woods. 
Can a beautiful life-giving herb fit in with a poison wood, my son? For residing in the forest, God has created Kola and Kirata girls, who are foreign to sensuous pleasures. Adamantine by nature, like the insect living on stone, they never experience any hardship in the woods. Another class fit for the forest is the hermit woman, who has renounced all pleasure for the sake of penance. But how my son will Sita live in the forest, she who's frightened to see even the picture of a monkey? Is a female signet who disports in the lovely lotus beds of the Manasa Lake fit for a muddy puddle? First ponder this. Then, as you order, I will instruct Janak's daughter. If she stays at home, the mother continued, that will mean a great solace to me. When Sri Ram, the hero of Ragu's race, heard this endearing speech of his mother, imbued as it were with the nectar of grace and affection, he comforted her by addressing tender and wise words to her, and then he started admonishing Janaki by disclosing to her the advantages and disadvantages of forest life. Even though he hesitated in speaking to her in the presence of his mother, he realized within himself the emergency of the situation, and said, Listen to my advice, O princess, and do not misunderstand me. If you wish well of me as well as of yourself, please accept my suggestion and stay at home. You will be obeying my order and rendering service to your mother-in-law. By remaining at home, good lady, you will be benefited in every way. For a woman there is no other duty more sacred than reverently adoring the feet of her husband's parents. Whenever my mother thinks of me and feeling disconsolate due to her love for me and loses her balance of mind, do you console her, my love, with soothing words by narrating old legends to her? I tell you sincerely and solemnly, it is for my mother's sake, charming lady, that I leave you here. By staying at home in deference to my wishes, you will easily obtain the reward of virtue approved by one's elders and the Vedas, whereas by giving themselves over to obduracy, the sage Galava, King Nahusa, and all others suffered great hardships. As for myself, listen, O oh fair and sensible lady, I will soon return after redeeming my father's word. Days will steal away quickly. Therefore heed my advice, O oh charming lady. If, on the other hand, you persist in your obstinacy due to your affection for me, O oh pretty girl, you will eventually come to grief. The forest is rugged and most dreadful with its terrible heat, cold, rain, and blasts. The tracks are beset with prickly grass, and thorns and stones of various kinds, and you will have to tread them without any protection for the feet. Your lotus-like feet are delicate and lovely, while the paths are most difficult and intercepted by huge mountains, caves and chasms, streams, rivers and rivulets that are unapproachable, unfathomable and terrible to look at. Bears and tigers, wolves, lions and elephants raise such a cry as, as staggers one's presence of mind. The ground will be your couch, and the bark of trees your raiment, while bulbs, fruit, and roots will be your food. And do you think even these latter will be available to you all year round? You'll get everything according to its season. Man-eating demons roam about in the woods and assume all sorts of deceptive forms. The water of the hills is exceedingly unwholesome. The hardships of the forest are beyond all description. 
There are terrible serpents, and fierce wild birds, and multitudes of demons who steal both man and woman. Even the boldest shudder at the very thought of the forest, while you, O fawn-eyed lady, are timid by nature. You're not fit for the woods, O fair lady. The world will revile me when they hear that I am taking you to the forest. Can a female signet who has been brought up in the nectarian water of the Manasa Lake live in the salt water of the ocean? Can a cuckoo that has made merry in a young mango grove have its appropriate place in a thicket of karela bushes? Pondering this in your heart, stay at home, O moon-faced lady. The hardships of the forest are great. He who does not reverently follow the advice of a disinterested friend, preceptor, and master has to repent fully at heart and surely harms himself. When Sita heard these soft and winning words of her beloved Lord, her lovely eyes filled with tears. His soothing advice proved as scorching to her as a moonlit autumnal night to a female Chakravaka bird. Videha's daughter could make no answer. She was filled with agony to think that her pious and loving lord would leave her behind. Perforce restraining her tears, Earth's daughter took courage, and throwing herself at her mother-in-law's feet, spoke to her with her two palms joined together. Forgive, O venerable lady, my great impudence. The lord of my life has tendered me only such advice as is conducive to my best interests. I have, however, pondered within myself and realize that there is no calamity in this world as great as being torn away from one's beloved Lord. O Lord of my life, O abode of mercy, handsome, genial, and wise, O moon for the lily-like race of Ragu, without you heaven would be as obnoxious as hell. Father and mother, sisters and dear brothers, beloved kinsmen and friends, father-in-law, mother-in-law, preceptor and relatives, allies and even sons, however good-looking, well-behaved, and congenial, nay, whatever ties of affection and kinship there exist, to a woman bereft of her beloved Lord they are far more tormenting than the scorching sun. Life, riches, house, land, city, kingdom, all these are mere accoutrements of woe to a woman bereft of her Lord. Luxury to her is loathsome like a disease, and ornaments a burden, while the world is like the torments of hell. Without you, O Lord of my life, nothing in this world is delightful to me. As the body without a soul, and a river without water, even so, my Lord, is a woman without her husband. In your company, my Lord, I shall be happy in every way, so long as I behold your countenance resembling the cloudless moon of an autumnal night. Birds and beasts will be my kindred, the forest my city, and the bark of trees my spotless robes and a hut of leaves in the company of my Lord will be as comfortable as the abode of the gods. The generous-hearted sylvan gods and goddesses will take care of me like my own father-in-law and mother-in-law. A charming litter of grass and tender leaves will in the company of my Lord vie with Cupid's own lovely cushions. Bulbs, roots, and fruits will be my ambrosia, while mountains will be as good as a hundred royal mansions of Iotia. Gazing on the lotus feet of my lord every moment, I shall remain as cheerful as a female chakravaka bird during the daytime. You have mentioned a number of hardships and perils, woes and afflictions attendant with forest life. 
but all of these put together will hardly compare with an iota of the pangs of separation from my Lord, O fountain of mercy. Bearing this in mind, O crest jewel of wise men, take me with you. Pray do not leave me behind. I refrain from making a lengthy submission, my Lord, knowing as I do that you are all merciful and have access to the hearts of all. If you leave me in Iotia till the expiry of your exile, you may rest assured that I shall not survive, O friend of the afflicted, O handsome and congenial Lord, O storehouse of amiability and affection. As I walk along the road, I shall know no fatigue gazing on your lotus feet all the while. I shall render all sorts of service to my beloved Lord yourself, and shall relieve him of all the toil occasioned by the journey. Laving your feet and resting in the shade of a tree, I shall fan you with a cheerful heart, beholding your swarthy form bedewed with sweat, and casting a look on the Lord of my life, I can have no occasion for grief. Spreading grass and leaves of trees on an even patch of ground, this handmaid of yours will knead your feet overnight. Even as I gaze on your tender form again and again, hot winds will have no effect on me. Who can dare look at me when I am by the side of my Lord, any more than a hare or a jackal would regard a lioness? How true it is that I am delicate of body, while my Lord is fit to bear the hardships of a forest life, that it behooves you to undergo penance while it is worth while for me to loll in luxuries. When my heart refuses to be rent even on hearing such cruel words, I am sure my wretched self shall live to bear the terrible pangs of separation from my Lord. So saying, Sita was overwhelmed with distress. She could not bear her Lord's separation even in words. Seeing her condition, the Lord of Raguz was convinced in his heart of hearts that if left behind against her will, she would not survive. The all-merciful Lord of the solar race therefore said, Give up lamentation and accompany me to the forest. Grief is out of season today. Prepare yourself for the journey to the woods at once. Consoling his beloved consort with these endearing words, the Lord threw himself at his mother's feet and received her blessings. Pray return soon and relieve the people's distress and see that your heartless mother is not forgotten. Shall the tide of my fortune ever turn, O goodness, that I may behold the charming pair with my own eyes again? When, my dear son, will arrive the auspicious day and the blessed hour that your mother shall live to see your moonlight countenance? When again shall I call you my darling, my pet child, lord of the Raguz, chief of Raguz's race, my boy, and summoning you, clasp you to my bosom and gaze upon your limbs with delight? Seeing that his mother was too overwhelmed with emotion to speak any more and was greatly agitated, Sri Ram consoled her in various ways. The gravity of the occasion and the intensity of emotion was more than one could describe. Janak's daughter then threw herself at her mother-in-law's feet and said, I tell you, mother, I am most unlucky in that at a time when I should have served you, heaven has exiled me to the forest and has refused to grant my desire. Pray be not perturbed any more, but at the same time cease not to entertain kindly feelings toward me. Relentless is fate, and there is no fault of mine either. The mother-in-law was so distressed to hear Sita's words that I have no words to describe her condition. Again and again she pressed her daughter-in-law to her breast, and recovering herself, admonished and blessed her. May the blessed state of your wifehood know no break, 
and endure so long as the streams of the Ganga and Yamuna continue to flow. The mother-in-law blessed and admonished Sita in various ways, and the latter parted from her, most affectionately bowing her head at her lotus feet again and again. And this brings us to the close of another episode of the Ramayan Podcast. Please join us next time. Sitaram! Ram!